but I think the learning starts when you start to actually see real live people. That's when you, you know, when you start to put your work into practice. The other thing that we'd be thinking about again is is protecting the risk. That's huge and it's probably underestimated. And no. I also think it makes people far more excited to put money into a pension because yeah. historically, you know, you, you're encouraging somebody to put money into a pension and it doesn't feel that exciting because there's no real sort of, you know, real thing they can feel or see about what the, the benefit of doing that is. When you start to talk about, you know, you want to retire at 60 because you want to have a, you know, want a holiday home or you want to be able to, you know, have this many holidays, you want to lay in bed till 10 o'clock every day, mm. all of a sudden there feels like a real tangible reason to do this. Hi everyone, you're listening to the Unrelenting Drive podcast and before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know, I started this podcast because over the years I've had hundreds of the most inspiring conversations of my life with small business owners and they really helped me grow and scale my own business and get my mindset right even when times were really tough. I wanted to capture those conversations and make them available to other small business owners who are following in my footsteps and I've just got a small request, if you enjoy this episode, if you find it really inspiring, if you find it helps you in your own business, Business, then please just like it and subscribe to our YouTube channel. The more subscribers we get, the more we can invest in making the podcast better. So enjoy the episode. Hi everyone. So today I'm delighted to be joined by Alison Hughes from Sharper Financial Planning. Alison, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Nishi. It's, uh, it's great to have you here. And today's episode, I think it's going to be slightly different to usual because I'm, I've been very aware over the last few years really like you know you talk to business owners and um quite often they they they're quite clued up about accounting eventually but then they don't always know a lot about the financial planning side and the personal finances and um there's uh, I, I believe like you know by having this conversation today we'll, we'll just capture the essentials and make sure that anyone watching this um knows exactly what to do with their personal wealth perfect amazing um really before we go into all that though um if you could tell the listeners and the viewers um, how you got into financial planning. Uh, yes, I can. Um, it was, I think I was 22 when I became a financial planner, so it was a long, 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 long time ago. Um, I worked for Nationwide Building Society, is the, the long story short. I worked for them from the age of 18, doing various roles, and I became a fan, I think it was called a senior financial consultant um, for them, about 22, 23 years old. So that's how I started my financial planning journey. So mm. I was a financial planner with them for uh, 10 years before I became a, a manager within Nationwide. But I mm -hmm. it sort of five <coughs> years in realised that that wasn't my calling. I definitely wanted to, to go back to my roots, if you like, and be a financial planner. What, what were you managing? Just the financial planning department? Mortgage advisors. Okay. So I managed a team of uh, mortgage advisors for it, about five years. Is that fun? Um, it, it was. I loved the staff and I loved the people that I worked with. Um, I definitely feel that I'm better off uh, looking, being accountable for myself and let, than others, perhaps. So um, I wanted to get back in front of clients and to to build relationships with my clients as opposed to my sort of teammates as such. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And actually, a lot of people watching this, they might actually not understand that um, financial planning in the UK is actually heavily regulated. It is, yeah. So, yeah, it would be really good to if you could just give us a bit of an overview of the um, kind of qualifications and stuff you've got to get through to actually be able to give some financial advice. Yeah, I can do now. A lot of people go through different... There are different paths you can take. Um, I was I was very lucky and very fortunate that working with Nation, working for Nationwide, they put me through all of my exams. So um, you know I'm I'm very fortunate and grateful for that. So I did um, something originally called CMAP, which was regulated to give mortgage advice and CFA, um, and then latterly something called a diploma of financial advice. Mm -hmm. um, so I know that other people take different avenues, but there's yeah various different sort of qualifications that you need to take um, in order to sort of get the sign off. But um, that's definitely not where the, the where the learning ends. It's where it starts, I think. Well, you, you got your CPD every year. Is it like twenty six hours that you got to do? Or? Yeah, it's thirty five hours, oh, wow. okay. uh, thirty six maybe. And a part of that has to include um, sort of insurance related mm. um, CPD. 
but I think the learning starts when you start to actually see real live people. Um, that's when you, you know, when you start to put your work into practice. You might feel the same, you know, being an accountant. You know, it's actually when you start to deal with real life cases and real life people yeah. that you that you really build upon that. Mm. Well, you know what? The last two podcasts, I've just I've talked about, you know, why do people go and and do finance at university when they can actually just do the apprenticeship for that very reason. So I won't go into that this podcast, but um, that, that's, so yeah, you've got to be highly qualified and then you've got to maintain that level of CPD. Absolutely. And essentially like you, so when you left um, Nationwide, because Nationwide closed down in Northampton, didn't it? Uh, we still got, we still got, okay. I think there's, we had loads of different branches within the town, town centre mm. in and A lot of the smaller branches closed. Um, you've still got the big head office at Nationwide oh, still okay. in Moulton Park. Yeah, my sister used to work there and then her role got moved to Swindon. And then... Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, I think, a lot of restructuring that took place. Okay. But so, um, so yes, yeah, so I, I, I was made, I took redundancy from Nationwide and because I wanted to see what the big wide world had to offer yeah. um, rather than be, you know, stay in the same place from cradle to grave almost. Oh, I can imagine. And then what, what was next after Nationwide? Um, so I had a, only my little boy was only seven months old. So um, I, I briefly worked somewhere, um, somewhere in between. But then I um, had quite a lot of my colleagues from Nationwide in different, in various different job roles um, worked for St James's Place also my best friends worked for St James's Place for years and years so I, I knew all about them and, and what they stood for um, and I had sort of various meetings with people um, and I decided that that was the place that I wanted to work um, for a number of reasons um, amazing yeah yeah, yeah I, I guess um, how big is St James's Place um, it, big <laughs> it's the biggest wealth management company in the uk um, yeah. sort of 150 billion pounds of assets under management so 150 billion yeah okay yes. so, so they're, they're 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 big with so it's about 10 percent of this country's gdp i guess if you say so nishi i'll, I'll go <laughs> with that <laughs> it's um we've got yeah it, it it's uh, some nice place are you know as i said they're, they're big in terms of scale and is it just UK based, or do they operate other places in the um, world? We do have a um, sort of an Asian arm, if you like, that that covers um, sort of that that neck of the woods. But so is that mainly expats, or yes, like, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and but as far as broadly, you mm. know, we would look, we I would look after UK residents. Yeah, and and you've got a bit of an interesting story in St James's Place because when you joined, you were working for one of the partners and now you're um now you've got sharper um uh, sorry sharper financial solutions is it sharper financial planning yeah it's planning. It's, it's only yes. it's it's only just been born so it's fair yeah. enough that you haven't quite grasped that as far no it's cool yeah and i mean how uh, that's a really cool name and it, it must have been was it hard to get the domain for that um, no so when i when i joined st james's place to be honest i wasn't entirely sure in, in what mm. format I was going to join it, and I and I am done and I decided that as it was a a new a new company for me to work for, and as we all know, although you yes, I have the qualifications, mm. you know, it's all the other stuff that I thought you know what I I quite like to work with somebody that's established. So I worked with a chap called Kim um, within his practice uh, for four years um, and learnt lots from him, you know, about the mm. SJP way. Um, and but but when but. but Going back to that, prior to me knowing whether or not, which route I was going to take, I'd already thought, mm. so four years ago, I knew that I wanted to have a business called Sharper Financial Planning, okay. and I bought the domain name four years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. So, um, so, no, so no is the answer. So I've had the domain name, just waiting in the wings until yeah. I felt ready to, um, to use it properly. Oh, amazing. Yeah. And so... When, when did you when did you take over Sharper Finance? So when did you launch um, Sharper Financial Planning? It's quite recent, isn't it? It's, it's extremely so. recent. So if it, mm. it all, if you I can't, don't know what terminology to use, but it all um, completed and it, and it all went ahead with regards to the FCA um, 
two weeks ago Wednesday. So that's how how recent it is. So okay. yeah, it's really really recent. So, yeah. So I guess September twenty twenty three. If mm-hmm. anyone's watching this a long time, yeah, in a bit the of a time, time stamp there. Yeah, if your yeah, grandchildren so are watching <laughs> this, so <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So September twenty three, and I joined St James's Place in September twenty nineteen. Okay. So it's my four year anniversary. This has happened, which is great. Amazing. Okay. And, um, you know, w- one thing I, I just wanted to ask you, because I know as a um, financial advisor, you can be part of a network. So St. James's Place, even though you've got your own business, is the network which is supplying the products, really, isn't it? Effectively, yeah. They supply yeah. not only the products, if you like, the. If, if I can call it their back office, which is absolutely ginormous, you know, the fulfillment, the, the technology, the, so the technical um, support we have in, you know, the, in, yeah. in every the aspect, and the delivery, I yeah. guess, yeah, yeah, the, the whole team of people to to call upon um, if we've got any unusual complex mm. queries. So yes, yeah, so James plays over if you like the overarching company. And do you, so is that one of the reasons people tend to join a network like St. James's, well, and a, a, a yeah, company many. like St. James's Place, but is that because, like, if, if they were independent, for example, they'd have to build all that infrastructure themselves? Yes, yes, okay. and there's a lot of in- infrastructure to build, if you can imagine the compliance, the regulation. Mm. Uh, yeah, there's, there's, again, having never done it, I couldn't tell you how difficult it would be, but it's not something I would want or choose to do. Yeah, I guess you'd need power planners, a PA um, marketing people well I mean you need marketing anyway because even St. James Place you've still got to get customers yes um, that that makes sense so um, okay alright and um, what I guess this is all about business owners really isn't it and um, and how the financial planning applies to them but I, I mean ultimately there'll be quite a lot of crossover between um, uh, with other as, um, other types of people who aren't business owners, which is most people. Yep, yeah, um, yeah. There's wh- a, lots of crossover and there'll be some things that are more specific to a business owner. So, um, yeah, so the conversations that I would have mm. with business owners, yeah, obviously there'll be some differences, so. Yeah, I, I guess, um, what, what are the main, like, financial um, services that apply to business owners? really like we talked about pensions briefly yeah but um what what else is linked to them really so if i was speaking to a business owner specifically the pensions would be you know if, if uh, you know there'd be a list of things to talk about pensions being one of them because they can be quite neglected yeah um from business for a business owner perspective um because you know, a, a, a lot of people are just hey let's get nest and then Get nest, tick the box, you know, when actually mm. it's such a tax-efficient way of extracting profits from your business. And if you can do that year on year on year on year, mm. um, then all of, you know, then you're, bu- you're building in a, you know, really sort of sound part of your financial plan uh, to the pension plan being being part of that. So, and that's just changed recently where you can put, as a director, you can put £60,000 into your pension every year. Um, mm. the, the other thing that we'd be thinking about, again, is, is protecting the risk that's huge um and it's probably underestimated how what is the risk protecting your risk so um obviously again looking at yourself this is a business owner you know lots of hard work blood sweat and tears goes mm. into building up a business um and that you know that business may for a bit may consist of you you know you might be the, the biggest person in your business you may have key people in your business so it's making sure that in the event that you or they um are unable to do that job you know that there's a contingency plan so looking at different insurances to ensure that the business doesn't fall foul of any you know shock any shocks um and again if you're a business owner with somebody else you know corporate protection so you know key man sorry not key man shareholder protection and things like that yeah so yeah Shareholder protection, what would we... That's called cross options, isn't it? There's different, different ways of doing it, but effectively... Okay. Yeah, so without being too technical, yeah. effectively it's ensuring that you and me are in business together, for example. Mm. If something happens to me, then there are a number of ways of, 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 of setting it up and ensuring mm. that, you know, all of a sudden you're not, you know, you, my husband's now not going to be your business partner because mm. that might not yeah. work. Uh, so I think what I've seen in the past is the typical way there, like where people um, create a cross-option agreement and then have an insurance policy attached to that. So it pays off the family and therefore yeah. the, the, the surviving partner, i.e. the surviving business partner then takes over yeah. all of the shares. Yeah, that's, yeah, that, 
that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. And you'll be surprised how many people don't do that. And mm. um, I've, I don't know anyone personally it's happened to, but it can cause obviously humongous problems if that if that's mm. not in place and not not set up properly. Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of people don't really think about dying, uh, um, do they? I, I, I always feel really awkward when I'm talking to people about inheritance tax and stuff. It's and or like even, I don't obviously I don't give wills advice, but I do advise people to talk to a will specialist. Um, because and I I just give them some of the worst case scenarios that can happen if they don't. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those subjects that's a bit morbid and like you're always trying to be positive and it's hard to talk about death positively. It is. Um, it's much easier to talk about it when the person you're talking to is healthy. Yes. So you know you don't want to have it's much harder to have that conversation when you know you've got a client that isn't mm. so well because you know that makes it even awkwarder. So I think to try and have to try and face that head on and it's the one thing as we all know that's going to happen to all of us yeah <laughs> it's just we don't know the date so actually you know it's really important to understand that the inevitable will happen mm. let's make sure that it ha- if it happens in the midst of this you know of your of your career mm. or your business that it doesn't completely derail all the hard work that you've done mm. thus far yeah, and I guess like just adding to um, what we're talking about in terms of pensions being relevant for business owners and and the right kind of insurances, I mean ultimately I, I guess you you've got corporate investments that are relevant as well. Like in in the event where someone's not lucky enough, but someone's made so much progress in their business that that they've used up all their pension allowances, then and they still can't get money out of their business um, unless they set up SPVs, that kind of stuff, then actually sometimes there, there must be like corporate like bonds and stuff they can buy, um, which it mean that they can at least not waste, not lose out on um, Leaving interest. money in cash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there are various different... Cor- Again, dependent, it, it would... The answer is yes, there are corporate investments. Mm. We would need to look at somebody's you know, specific... How long do they expect the money to be in the business for? What's the plans for the business? Yes, you've used up your pension allowance, but going forward, so it, it's quite a, te- a technical question. So I think the answer is yeah. yes. There are there are things that we can do subject to one's individual circumstances. Mm. Very bit of a generic answer there. No, it's all right. Yeah, I mean, we we don't. Um, it, obviously, people need to have a conversation with you to actually get specific um, examples um, re- relating to them. Um, yeah, and I, I guess we've got one thing in common, really, because we, we've talked a lot about the kind of cash flow planning we do on the business side, and it's quite, it, it's quite impressive to see the system that you've got where you do the cash flow planning on, like on, on the individual side um, for their own personal finances. Like, would you mind just sharing how, how that t- typically works? No, because no, not at all. I'd, I'd love to share it because it's the one thing I, that. I guess not the one thing, it's some the thing that really excites me and what I do and I think it, it, in, in turn hopefully really excites my, the client and my, my customers. Um, it's essentially, it's, it's really simple and it's not to overcomplicate it. You know, we would ask whether it be a business owner or not a business owner, it's ultimately understanding what the person's why. You know, what, mm. what are we doing and why are we doing it? You know, why do we work so hard? There will be a reason why, won't there? Sometimes mm. it might take a few whys to actually get to the bottom of it. Um, so it's understanding why we're doing what we're doing and what does, you know, what does financial independence look like? Um, so, you know, financial independence being, you know, having enough money to choose whether you need to work or not, to choose what kind of work you do. So uh, how much do we need... You know, how, how much a month do you need to, to live, to have in order to create that independence and when do you want it by? And so with those, with those, you know, with those questions answered, we can start to work backwards to say, well, if you wanted to be financially independent at 60 and you need to, you know, you, once you've got no, no mortgage, you, need, you want to have £4,000 income, mm. then we can basically work backwards and say, well, what do we have in place now? what are the gaps and what do you need to do in order to to make that happen so we either get obviously action taken i.e you know Mm. i someone saying right i'm happy to contribute far more towards my pension than perhaps i I once used to somebody may not be in a position to do that Mm. so in order then they either you know they have they have a bit more clarity as to what that future looks like okay and no. I also think it makes people far more excited to put money into a pension because yeah. historically, you know, you, you're encouraging somebody to put money into a pension and 
it doesn't feel that exciting because there's no real sort of you know, real thing they can feel or see about what the, the benefit of doing that is. When you start to talk about, you know, you want to retire at 60 because you want to have a, you know, on a holiday home or you want to be able to, you know, have this many holidays, you want to lay in bed till 10 o'clock every day, mm. all of a sudden there feels like a real tangible reason to do this. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's really insightful. I mean, I guess... Like typically, what what kind of objectives do small business owners have when you go through that, or even just people in general? Like, because some people, if they don't have kids, for example, they're probably not bothered about leaving things to kids, or maybe to charities. I don't know. Like, uh, like that's that's probably got to be a factor in it, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I think that yeah is need to understand. You know, yes, someone might want to live on this amount of money. I.e., for you know, mm. I'll make that number up, the four thousand pounds a month. But then what other things do you want to do do you want to be able to put if, you, if you've got children do you want to be able to you know support them with a deposit for their first house or mm. so what what, so what do i get what objectives much of a much this nishi you know but mm. it's, it's very much you know people want to aim towards a date that they can choose whether they want to work or not and with small business owners more often than not we're moving away from people that want to just down tools and stop working at 65 yeah. You know, people might choose, actually, I want to do some consultancy work. I want to just work with my best, you know, 10% of clients, for example. So it's how it, the objectives normally would be to wind down and to, to live, to work at a pace that they, they want to work at without having to do um, parts of the work they perhaps like less. Mm. That, that makes sense, actually, because I, I think for business owners, like, I don't... I do know quite a lot of business owners that do want to retire, but actually, um, and I know a lot of business owners that want to sell their businesses. And for me, I can't imagine retiring, but maybe it's because I'm not old enough. Uh, but I, and, and you love your job, maybe still. You know, I, I, not, I do. Yeah, yeah. it's and um, but one one thing, like in terms of like retiring, and you you kind of touched upon it earlier, but. Like you mentioned, a lot of business owners are just relying on selling their businesses for for that retirement, and then, or at least, getting their business to a point where it runs itself, so they don't have to um, have to do anything. An interesting thing I'd like to know about that, because I, I obviously know how building up a business and having it run, um, and um, building up the value in a business so you can one day sell it works, because it's like a lot of the stuff we consult on, um, as well as like your your more standard accounting stuff, but. Like, how big do you think the, the gap is in people's expectations versus reality in that area? Big. Can, it can be big. So, so everyone thinks, like, their business is worth a million pounds. The, the, the difference is, I'm talking to you as somebody... So you're the business that you know, I'm hoping, that work with you yeah. are probably far better placed to understand what their business is worth. There'll be a lot of businesses that, that mm. don't work with somebody of your caliber um and that, that that may may not have a handle on what their business is worth and the things that could potentially you know reduce the value of their business you know what variables you know are out of their control so i i think some yeah people may think i've got you know, by the time i'm x or y my business will be worth this much money whereas there you have probably have more mm. stories than I do about times when that may not come to fruition for a number of reasons is, is that where you got like the one-man band who thinks their like a dress book is worth like a million pounds or yeah 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 I mean there are two types but you probably have more than that issue but there's two types of business there's businesses that which you, you're you're building up that you where you can take a passive income where mm. that you can work without you you know where you can be part of it and or there'll be businesses that just rely on on you so, mm. you know, if you're the business, there's probably quite a small value in that business. Yeah. I, Could I, be, depending on the business, but yes. I was, um, I went to, well, I didn't go to it, it was on Zoom, but I went to a, sorry, attended a Zoom um, webinar. It was um, about six months ago now, and there was a guy called Ian Benson, and he's like, he sold like 200 businesses as a business broker over the years. And it was, it was really interesting, some of the stuff he was saying about, you know, the value of a business. And um, he, did, he did mention, well, if, if your business is still heavily reliant on you, you might get three to four times a multiple of its profit. 
um, adjusted profit after you've replaced yourself. So uh, those kinds of businesses, I mean, you would at least have to have staff and it be, um, if it was just you, you wouldn't get anything. But it was actually really, um, it was a really good session because I, I don't normally make a lot of notes. My, my philosophy has always been, if it's worth remembering, I'll remember it. But actually our team make lots of notes and they're great at that. But, um, but at this like I, I walked away from the session, I had like six pages of, of notes and it was it was something something else. I, I know this is kind of off topic, but something else he said, which has really stuck with me. And he's um, he was said, you've got to be able to convince a potential buyer that actually you're not that bright, because <laughs> people who think you're really smart are going to pay you less for your business because they think you need a really smart person to run it. To, re- to replace them. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, yeah, this person's great. You know, how are we going to find them? So Yeah, and mm-hmm. he was like going on about how um, people who've made like a lot of money um, selling their businesses, they always convince like the buyer that they're really dumb. And uh, it, it worked well. But I mean, in, in the context of this, actually, yeah, there, there's a lot. Of, the, the value of a business is so, um, it's so subjective, firstly. Mm-hmm. Like, in, you know, there's no like, governing body that will come along and send a referee and i mean surveyors will charge you like you know six seven eight grand to come and give you stuff to tell you what you already know based on market averages and and your stock valuation but actually there's no real governing body or rule book yeah in terms of someone who can come along and tell you what the goodwill in your business is really worth you know you got um john warlow's value builder system you do have some tools out there um which give you a good indicator but um Ultimately, yeah, if people are just assuming they can sell their business and retire off the proceeds, then actually that's a very dangerous assumption unless they're taking some kind of action. Correct, yeah. And as I said, working with you, I'm guessing if people have more of an idea of what that's, you know, they will have an idea of what that business value is. But to rely on that solely, you know, Mm. is it's, yes, it's a risky mentality. So it's just how do we, and again, it's it's an investment philosophy, isn't it? You know, you don't put all your eggs in one basket. So you don't just, Mm. just rely on your business to be your, you know, income producer in retirement. Similarly, you might not just rely on your pension. It's just part of the, part of the financial plan. Yeah. And I mean, especially for business owners, Mm -hmm. um, compared to like your um, average, you know, um, non-business owner. Yeah. (laughs) Non-business owner, civilian. I don't know. Is that the term? No. But, um, yeah, because business owners, self-employed people are one in six of the population. Mm -hmm. From what I understand, small business owners who actually have staff members are one in six of the self-employed people. So actually you're you're one in 36 people. But I think, so I, I don't know if, um, these small business issues come up that often. Like, do you do you work with uh, do you work with a whole range of people? A whole range, yep. So, so sole traders, some small, mm. a couple of small businesses, civilians. Did you put it? You know, the yes. just yeah. You know, so I do work with yeah the whole the whole sort of across the board. And as I said, so the the mainstay of what I do would would apply to to most business owners. Uh, so to, to most of the people that I work with, not just business owners, um, and sort of going back, a lot of business owners also were not always business owners. So mm. it's, it's helping, you know, so often it's helping them also understand what pensions they've had historically that may just be, you know, that, that, that may have been forgotten. So that, you know, from being in a corporate background or, you know, from working somewhere else. So that's the other thing to mm. be mindful of when you're a business owner is what have you left behind? That's um, actually yeah. That's that's a very good point because I've got a pension somewhere, but I don't know exactly where it is. Um, but it's I don't think it's a lot of money. But the, you know what I was going to say though is um, before I go into that because actually I really do want to talk about that is um, SIPs like how they're they're really relevant to small business owners because mm-hmm. you know if you're if you're trading out of a business or an address and you've got the opportunity to buy it or even buy some other kind of commercial property like yeah. if you if you could let people know a bit more about you know how how do SIPs work and what what the main advantage is yeah so a SIP is very much like a normal pension is it's tax efficient way of saving for your future mm. but in a you can't put a commercial property into a into a normal pension, let's say. So that can go into a SIP. Mm. Um, now, you can't just put a property into a SIP. A SIP needs to have money in within uh, within the pension pot to buy the commercial property. So mm. just as an example, if you've got a, com- a, a unit worth 450000 and you want to, to buy it and put it into your pension, um, 
then you either need to have £450,000 within your pension to purchase that property. Um, but you can borrow half of the money that's in your pension mm. pot. So if you don't, if you forget even the fact, because of course there's going to be various different costs um, and fees associated to owning a SIP mm. and buying a property, but in the loosest and simplest terms, mm. um, to buy a property, if you've got a unit worth 450000 you, you would need to have at least 300000 within your SIP and then borrow half of that again to, to mm. buy the commercial property. Um, and then there are tax advantages of holding that property within the SIP. Yeah, because ultimately you've you've got a property in your pension, which your pension is renting to your business. Yes. So you get, you get the tax deduction for your business, but then the SIP's making all that income tax-free. Yeah. And the property grows in value and that's tax-free. Absolutely. Um, you wouldn't just want, just want the property within the SIP because it would make it quite illiquid. Mm when you wanted to use it when you retire so potentially so you'd have to sell the property yeah sell it depends how long you've held the property because of mm. course you may have been receiving rental income for 15 years so you know you may already mm. then built up some you know some investments within that um but ultimately it's a great tax efficient way of holding your commercial unit within in a tax efficient way within your own set yeah it's and do you, do you think there's like a minimum size or, or value of property where it just doesn't make sense because there are fees involved in this with the sip aren't there sips can be sips can be expensive you know mm. so you've got another sort of third party that will be administering the sip and you know there yeah. are there are costs for sort of everything within the sip you know the costs for um buying buying a property you know mm. there's all administ there's administration costs would i say that i don't i don't have a hard and fast rule as to what that property value would have to be mm. in order to make it non not worth it let's just say so again case by case basis okay yeah that makes sense i guess um sorry if we didn't say it earlier sip stands for self-invested pension plan it does and you don't think we did okay. say that earlier so that's what it stands for yeah oh excellent yeah and but you can put other stuff in sips as well can't you like shares maybe yeah single you can't mm. put residential properties no. in so you can't buy to let properties in that's something else that sort of you need to be aware of um yes you could put shares into sips as well and you can again case by case basis you we can move certain sort of portfolios different other portfolios in situ into sips as well so well if someone had like an antiques collection could they put that into the sell it into their sip i'm gonna say no <laughs> Okay. So, <laughs> I've never I've never had anyone and I'd probably need to look at do a bit more research to know. I'm pretty sure you can't put your antiques collection into a sip. Okay, all right. No, that's fine. All right. I, I was just curious, but uh and and you you touched on something else, like people losing pensions. It's like yeah. if, I guess if you move job and then move to another job and move to another job and they're all using different pension providers. Uh, it's the thing I do more than anything is is this is pension consolidation of people that have yeah, move jobs, lots and lots, and you know, you um, you'd be surprised. I think most people that I speak to in their mid fifties have got, you know, reasonably you know decent pots. You know that equate to you know hundreds of thousands, but hundreds of thousands of pounds, but split between five or six pots. Mm. People generally don't know what they've got in them. They don't know where they're invested. Um, so. Yes, it's understanding where where those pots are, and I will help find them, and then ultimately sort of look at what you know, look at what they are. We you know whether they've got guarantees attached to them and those kind of things. Okay, H how do you find them? So uh, initially, it will be the client will generally have a good idea of where they okay. are. They'll give me a policy number, so it's not. So I will. There may be a bit of detective work my mm. end, but more often than not, they'll say policy number. It may be that the, the pension provider might have changed, mm. but a, a bit of digging will find those. If or if they could tell you where they worked. and Yeah, yeah if, someone, if we know where someone's worked, you can, um, they can ultimately see who the pension provider is or was for that company. So you could write off mm. to them with like national insurance numbers okay. and, and try and locate a pension that way. And I've had a couple of... I haven't unearthed anything massive. We've had a few pensions where people have thought, a bit like you've just said, you know, I don't mm. think I've got very much in there. And there's been sort of 60 or 70,000, oh, right. which is not money you'd want to sort of mislay yeah. or lose, is it? So I remember, uh, yeah, my wife's dad, I think he found some money at some point. And uh, I guess people do, people do lose track. 
um, especially if you've been working your entire career. Yeah, yeah. yeah people opted out of SERPs, which was a, a thing. Sort of, it was a, it was a, people oh, yeah, op, sort of opted out of part of the state mm. pension. Again, I think okay. it was it was quite the done thing perhaps back in you know people don't even know they've done it i don't think mm. necessarily and, and again they can equate to quite sort of big pots potentially yeah. and people don't realize they've got those yeah that's and and i guess the importance of consolidating it all is you can then find the best scheme to um to put all that money into and make sure you just get that growth so uh, yeah exactly yeah. that you know yeah. simplification you know who wants to deal with five providers when they get to pension mm. age no one um, so you've got simplification, really understanding where mm. that money is invested in, in the right portfolio or in the right risk profile. What's, um, uh, and yeah, that probably raises a few more questions I'd like to understand. It's um, how do you understand which risk profile is right for your client? And also, actually, the other thing I, I wanted to know is, um, well, it's more of a comment, really, because um, I think maybe a lot of people out there don't just don't necessarily realise that actually a lot of the value in the pension doesn't just come from the tax saving you get. It comes from the actual growth of the fund. So not all funds are equal, really, are they? No. And, and you know, and not only that, and I think it also comes down to the financial decisions that you make. So, you know, trying to encourage clients to you know at pension contributions year on year to um to make those right decisions it, to make those good financial decisions um is everything so yeah so you're right where that where the funds are invested you know, the growth on those funds uh, that's obviously key to how the fund performs and how do i choose how would how would me and a, how would a client decide which is the right risk profile mm. um we I've got like a risk rewards brochure that we go through, mm. but you know, we'd have a deeper conversation about what different asset classes, how they work, you know, his, what they mean, you know, how long mm. does someone have until they retire? Because historically, mm. people would think I need to really, you know, put the brake on the risk because I'm heading towards 60 or 65. Whereas um, in reality, subject to your plans, your pension may mm. stay invested for the rest of your life. So actually, you know, whereas people might think it's a five, I've got a five-year plan, really, it's a 30-year plan. Mm. One, one thing a financial advisor uh, showed me once was like these graphs where um, essentially it, he'd, he'd have a trend line in terms of how um, the person's existing pension performed over the last 20 years. And then there'd be another trend line which would show how the fund that he wanted to move yeah. over to had performed. Do you do a lot of that? Yeah, yeah. So something called FE analytics is, is mm. one tool you can use. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you can just compare to you compare so, for instance, you, yeah. you know, a good, a good way of doing that as well. If, if someone, again, not sort of business owner, mm. someone's, you know, um and an hour about whether do I, do I invest in cash? It's well, let's have a look and see how a fund perhaps has performed, performed against cash over the last sort of 10, 15 years. And yeah. you both know how, it, how that plays out. So. Well, yeah, the fund would, <laughs> generally be better wouldn't it you would like to think so yeah, yeah. I mean, you know cash historically you know it's well inflation's been low yes. i guess um yeah In inflation or interest has been low so yeah. interest has been low um but over the course of time inflation would almost definitely be definitely have eaten away at cash mm. so you know so and and you work on the basis that if a fund's been well managed for the last 20 years and no reason it shouldn't be well managed for the next 10 i guess yeah, and we've got, you know, with when I look with, with St. James's Place, we have mm. portfolios with, you know, managers. We've got an investment committee that will regularly review those managers and mm -hmm. um, and they will make changes accordingly. They select, they monitor, and they change accordingly. So if a client can rest assured that, you know, if we suggest fund A or fund B, that, that's not just where they stagnate, you know, for, forevermore. Mm. Um, we've got an investment committee that will that will continuously mo continuously monitor those fund managers. Okay, excellent. And like in terms of how how do you make money in all of this? Like where where does like how do you get paid when you're working with people? Yeah, so it depends on what product some you know it depends on what product someone's taking. So um, with protection, we're paid for we're paid generally by the provider. Mm. So you know if we're suggesting. 
shareholder protection or life assurance or income protection, um, you would be paid by the you know Aviva or whoever it was that you were you know recommending the policy mm. from. It's a it's a bit trickier with pensions to 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 explain the charges on those, mm. but um, we work with an early withdrawal charge basis. So um, you would find if someone invests sixty thousand into a pension, the whole sixty thousand pounds gets invested. Um, nothing can initially will come off of that, but there will be an early withdrawal charge if that is withdrawn within a six-year period. So when, when you say if someone puts £60,000 in a pension and it all gets invested, do you... But a pension fund's always going to hold cash, isn't it? Like, cause a pension fund's got thousands of investments within the fund, from what I understood. Some would be bonds, some would be cash, some would be stocks. Yeah, so it's a... So if you invested £60,000 into a pension, yeah. your, your 60000 will be invested. The pension fund as a whole that holds mm. the millions and millions of pounds will hold some cash, yes. Mm. Um, but so what I meant by that was your, um, you won't see initially, if you like, then when you, when you invest that 60000 theoretically, yeah. you know, you're not going to f- see 5% come off of that pension in the first instance as an initial advice fee. Mm-hmm. That's only really collected if you withdraw that pension fund early. Okay. Does that make sense? It's yeah. A bit, it's a bit convoluted. But does that mean you, uh, But that means you don't get paid if they don't withdraw their fund early? No, so I get paid from St. James's Place. So they Okay, so they... Me. St. James's Place make money managing the fund as yes. well? Yes, yeah. So, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And if you have... If you, again, business owner or non-business mm. owner came and you had... Um, a new amount of you know amount of money to invest, and there mm. would there would be an initial charge on that, and that would that will depend on you know how much one's invested if they're an existing client, etc. So they mm. will, but they would obviously be made aware of how that what that is before mm. they invest the money. Yeah, definitely. Why would someone want to withdraw money from a pension early? Sorry, not early. They, as in no, they, from a fund early. Yeah, well, they uh, depending on things. It depends on age. Because yeah. if you're if you're in your forties, you can't mm. unless you're yeah. unless you're ill, very very ill, and there's a reason, you know. That but but you know how you mentioned about, about the fund because I, I guess when you say early withdrawal, you mean transfer it to another fund, really, don't you? Yeah. So one, okay. of, two, one, one of two things could happen. You yeah. could either move from you know from advisor A, you know, to you know advisor B, yeah, completely you know, somewhere. Uh, somewhere else for a different company that that is obviously would be considered mm. to be withdrawing your pension um or if you um had something if you were a pensionable age and mm. you had something unexpected and you needed to draw out a big chunk that you wasn't expecting to draw mm. out i guess yeah uh, okay that make, makes yeah. sense yeah but i mean in general if you if you're under 55 and you want to take money out of pension that's that's tricky isn't it yeah, so that's um, that, that's the, you know we spoke about the pros and cons. There's so many pros of pensions, you know, mm. tax relief being one of them, and you know, paying your future self. Um, yeah. But the obviously the, the downside is, of course, you do have restrictions as to when mm. you can withdraw that money. Yeah, that that does make so sense. Fifty five at the moment, that is going to change to fifty seven. It comes up a lot in the conversations I have with clients because, like, I mean, I, I am for putting money to a pension to some extent. I mean, although I could, I could do, be a lot better at it myself. Um, we'll talk. <laughs> yes, yeah. But um, ultimately, though, you've got, you've always got the balance between making sure there's enough working capital in the business, making sure there's enough money in the business to grow it in the way you want to grow it, and then using your excess funds to exactly. then put it into the pension. Yep. But I, I guess that is like you know wh- one of the things where we do support people on that is understanding what those excess funds are. I think I don't think most business owners have um, visibility on it, and that's where like you know while you do the cash flow planning in terms of um, the the li- lifespan that's got to be covered by um, investments and pensions. Um, ultimately, we do the cash flow planning to help people understand what that what is available to to um, remove for their own personal lifestyle and and personal investments. So. Um, I think they go hand in hand. And that's where the collaboration comes in. So, mm. in fact, I had a client just yesterday and she said to me, um, and obviously maybe a conversation for us off, off, oh, yeah. offline, um, you know, I we did exactly what I just said we do. So we talked about when, where she wants to be at what age. Mm. Um, there's quite a big gap. So, you know, that's, that's not going to happen if nothing, you know, if nothing changes, that yeah. isn't going to happen. Um, so I said to her, you know, you need to, to be put, you know, ideally you'd need to put in this much a month in from the business. And then she said, 
can you help me do the cash flow for my business to help me understand what mm. I need to do in order to, to make that happen? which is exactly where you would come in, mm. you know? So that's where I think we would work hand in hand. So if a client said to you, right, this is what I do at the moment and this is what I need to generate. And this, you know, that, that I think is where um, having someone, you know, having someone in your team that can do each of those different things works. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think earlier you were talking about the importance of having a good team around you. What did you mean about that? Um, I just think in life, it's great, you know, whether business owner, let go with it, you know, having somebody, you know, we're, we're, all, we're only a good, at, really good at a finite amount of things, you know, mm. some of that might just be running your business. So having your, you know, having your financial planner that, uh, you know, that, that, that helps you, you know, that you're on track, that helps you understand mm. what actions you need to have in your f- accountant that helps you understand what you need to do in your business and whether it be, you know, whether having an, an electrician, you know, your go-to plumber, your go-to electrician, mm. your, your, having your go-to person, I think makes life so easy because, you know, any issues you might face, you've got, you know, your trust in that person. You can just concentrate mm. on doing the things that you do well. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I guess you're an average of the people you surround yourself by. So if you've got, if you've got the best like people that. in, yeah. yeah. So that that's definitely um, definitely good. And let's say you've got a business owner who wants to think about the future, but they they don't feel comfortable tying money up in a pension and putting it away like that. Is there an alternative? Like, because you do have other investments, don't you? Absolutely. You know, and in and the thing is, with financial advice or financial planning, mm. it's it's not it's not actually that complex. As you know, there's not a thousand and one things to do. It's mm. really simple. You've got you know, I says which are individual savings accounts, which are ways of the money's invested almost in an an identical portfolio, potentially, depending on your attitude to risk. So Mm. they're invested in the same place. It just has a little, it has a different wrapper around it. And that wrapper means that you can access the money Mm. um, at any time, really. It still should be thought of as a longer-term investment, but you can access that money, whereas your pension's a bit more restricted. Yeah, I mean... A few years ago, like I always thought ISAs were irrelevant because they, like the interest rates were so low that people would never make enough interest to go over the one thousand pounds yep. per personal savings allowance. Um, and I, so I, I never quite understood it. But are they becoming more relevant now? But I'm also aware you've um, there was other types of ISAs, weren't there? That's right. Yes. Yeah. So, you, yeah. so you, an ISA being an individual savings account, there are two different mm. types. Well, there's more than two, but if we just broadly, you've mm. got a cash ISA, mm. which is what you're referring to, which is where the money is just sits within a you know deposit-based investment, um, historically earning very little. Um, but then any, any interest you earn is tax-free. And like you say, you have to have quite a significant amount in there to have gone over the, your savings allowance you get. But you also have an investment or stocks and shares ISA. Mm. So that's what I'm referring to. So if somebody has a chunk of money and they've either used up their pension allowance or they, they, you know, they can't be restricted for one reason or another, we can invest... Well, you can invest a- any sum of money and you can utilise your each year £20,000 worth of ISA allowance and we can then feed that investment, we can feed the ISA year on year on year so you ultimately over the course of time could have you know, £100,000, £200,000 within the ISA environment. Wow, okay. That yeah. Made, yeah. And yeah. that can still form part of your retirement, that can still form part of your retirement plan because if you use that to provide you with an income, mm. then... You know, if you start to take from that regularly, then that's not going to be taxed because it's nicer. So that's a part, yeah. that's part that could be part of your income stream. But you just won't have re- received the tax relief on the way in. But you don't receive the tax relief on the way in, but it's held then within a in a tax um, in a tax efficient environment. So the growth mm. is free of tax. Then when you get it, you know, when you take it out, it's also you know there's no taxation to consider. Yeah, that makes um, that makes a lot of sense. So, Alison, um, earlier in the podcast, you, you, or was it before the po- podcast when we were talking, um, but you, you mentioned about allowances every year in terms of how much people can actually pay into their pension. Yeah. And um, if you could just help us understand, what, what is that at the moment? So it, it changed. So mm. we had a quite a generous um, uplift. Um, and that's so we currently can pay six, up to £60,000 into your pension um, a year. 
you can, in certain circumstances, use mm. unused allowance from previous years, um, subject to having been regis a registered, uh, so registered to a pension, um, which could be really small and it could be years old, but um, there is potentially the possibility of, re of using unused allowance from three years prior. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, and, and I think you, you just kind of covered one of the pitfalls where people go to use their previous year's allowances and then realise oh, actually they should have been on they should have been on some kind of scheme even if it was just nest um, that if, it, as as long as they were registered even if they weren't paying into it they could correct could yeah conserve it could have been one from ten fifteen years ago yeah yeah that's fine that's right yeah okay so if but so where people slip up is where they they're not on any kind of pension scheme and then they want to carry back those allowances yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you can't, we can only sort of start from this year onwards if you've never been part mm. of a scheme before that. So w what happens if you want to put in more than 60K? Uh, well, if if you haven't been a member of any scheme, which I would say, honestly, most people would have been at some point, but if, if you haven't uh, so been... So even if you're not an active member, it still counts? Yeah. So okay. you could have been a member, as I said... You know, 15 years ago, and yeah. as long as you're, there's you know, evidence that you're, you're a member, then you can use those, you can go back. You know, how much will depend on how much you've earned in the current tax year. Um, so again, you know, we would do it on a on a case by case basis, but there is that potential. And if you have, and if you haven't ever been, and you want to put more in, so you would effectively need to wait to the following tax year, and then just utilize the year, the years going forward. Okay, and is there a limit to the maximum amount you can have? Oh, obviously, I know the answer, but is, what is the limit to the um, maximum amount you can have in a pension fund? Well, that's changed as well. So there used to be the lifetime allowance, um, which uh, which is now again in the in the same budget where we, they announced you could have up to sixty thousand. I don't know the actual terminology because it's not quite there isn't mm. one, but they're, they're, that lifetime allowance has now been removed. Really, there's no lifetime allowance. No. Okay. Oh, I hadn't realised that. Wow. Okay. So that is, um, so you can put as much, like if, you, if you're if you working for 40 years and you're putting 60 grand into your pension a year, I mean, you'd have to be very successful. And, very, yeah. Uh, but, uh, okay, amazing. Because, yeah, before there was a cap on it, wasn't there? There was, yeah, um, which made it quite, there was yeah. lots of tax issues that would then come into play if you went over mm. that lifetime allowance there's various tests that would need to be done throughout the course of your you know your life to to see if you'd gone over that allowance but yeah, as i said that's rather generously been removed yeah you know what we had a, a bit of a scare with uh, a client a little while ago because they um they had because ultimately like if you're if you're over 55 you just hit 55 you got the option to take start taking money out of your pension yeah. but quite often if you're still working and you want to keep putting money into your pension at the same time yeah that's another thing people fall foul mm. of initially actually taking money out of your pension and not realizing then the mm. impact that has on your contributions going forward yeah so uh, because it gets if you've if you've t taken money out of your pension beyond your was it tax-free uh, tax allowance. allowance which is um well, no, sorry, sorry, the tax-free lump sum. Sorry, yeah, tax-free, yes, yeah. so, so um, over the 25%, if that's what the tax-free lump sum is, yeah. Okay, yeah, so, and then you get restricted, so you can't put 60K into your pension anymore, you can only put 10,000 a year, and that's that, right. Yeah, and that was for a year ago, wasn't oh, it? Oh, it was, yeah. Yeah, that's now up so. to 10, but you're right, yeah, you're then limited to mm. how much you can put into that pension going forward. Yeah, uh, yeah, well, this client had a bit of a scare, but I had to bring it up anyway, just in case, but then he phoned his um, financial advisor, and it turned out, actually, he'd put he'd started withdrawing money from a um, defined benefit scheme which meant his um, defined contribution allowances were still Stay intact um, were still intact mm -hmm. um, but actually that's that's an interesting point what are the different what does defined contribution defined benefit mean um, quite simply a defined benefit scheme is is generally not dictated to by fund performance or how much you put into the pension. So that's final salary. Yeah, so final salary in old in old terms. There can mm. be other types of defined benefit, but effectively there'll be a calculation that can be made which will say you've worked, you know, how much did you a final salary will be based on your final salary, mm. then you could have a career average related mm. earnings, which is also defined benefit. Okay. Um, and that then again, but ultimately it's a calculation that says, you know, what you get out will be a calculation of how much you earned 
um, and how many years you worked somewhere. So there'll be a, a calculation. It won't matter that you've put how much you've put in necessarily or what the fund performance has been. It's a calculation on uh, generally mm. earnings versus how long you've worked somewhere. Uh, they are much harder to come by these days, whereas a defined contribution scheme um, will be what the majority of people have these days. Um, and that will be effectively is how much money, you know, how much money has been contributed mm. by employer, empl employee, um, and, and what's the growth on the fund been? And then, then when you retire, whatever that fund's worth, you know, you will then make a decision, hopefully with an advisor, to decide what to do with it. In terms of, uh, and what are the options? You just leave it as cash or you, um, or invested or you take an annuity, I guess? Yeah, so that, you know, there'll be, there's a number of options. So, you know, you, you could take the whole lot as, as cash if you mm. wanted to. Of course, there were, you know, big you know, tax penalties to pay for that. And also, you know, that there'll be, you know, there's other pitfalls of doing that. Uh, a lot of people go into sort of flexi access drawdown, which effectively, my description of that is it's just it's, again it's like a pot of money like a bank account that you you know withdraw from um according to your needs mm. again be mindful by working with an advisor they will help you to understand a sensible level of withdrawal to ensure you know that ideally that money lasts for as long as it needs to last mm. for or you can buy an annuity which again is much less common these days which is where you utilize uh, use that pot of money and you buy effectively you know you, you swap that money for mm. for a, an income for the rest of your life but then you're gambling on how long you live i guess yeah I mean, yes again there are as much more to it than that but yes yeah, so there's, yeah. yeah, there's different bells and whistles you can put on an annuity um and there's not much flexibility either mm. so you know if you with a flexible access drawdown pension you know you might decide that actually the first 10 years i like this i've seen this terminology so for instance someone might say the first 10 years of retirement are the go-go years yeah you might say the next 10 years of the slow go and then the next 10 might be the no-go and you might be able to say actually i think i'll spend more money in my go-go years so you know you could mm. then plan to sort of reduce what you need accordingly but whereas an annuity you can't really be that flexible okay yeah that that makes sense i guess um yeah and also then if you if you end up living longer than the amount the annuities calculated on, you beat the system, right? And if yeah, you, yeah, yeah. If you don't make it to that age, then you, I guess you, you're worse off. Yes. Again, you can, yeah, there are things you can do to protect the value of an annuity. So mm. you might have something called value-added protection so you know you can do things so to, if, if mentally you don't ever want to be beaten by the system yeah you could you know whatever's not been spent in you know in giving you that annuity income the residual mm. amount can go to a family member so there are ways of of, of mm. trying to make sure that um that you, the system doesn't beat you with an annuity mm. but you're quite right it does it's, it's the, I think the lack of flexibility that, that these days mm. people don't like with an annuity. What, and that raises a good point. What happens to your pension when you die? So you, again, it depends what kind of pension you've got, but you know, let's just talk about somebody that works with me. Um, you would have an expression of wish form that you would have you know, that would sit alongside that pension that says, mm. in the eventuality of your death, where do you want that money to go to? Um, and you know, there might, might be your spouse, it could be your children. Um, but but does, sorry, um, would, would it just be paid out to them as cash or can you transfer the actual pension over to them? You can choose to do both. Okay. So, you know, so you would put on that form that it could be a lump sum or it could be an income. And again, if you're working with an advisor, you would like to think that they would then look after the, all the generations and then they would help you understand what the, the best course of action would be. Does it come to you as a pension you know does it come to you as cash you know so that you, it could be either so and it's all free of inher inheritance tax is that right from what i understand pension yeah pension what's held within a pension is free of inheritance tax there is a, other potential tax implications when it comes to dependent on how old the person is yeah that died that, but but effectively yes what's held in the pension it's just outside of the estate for inheritance tax 
and sorry, I, I don't know if it's too complicated, but what are the other potential tax implications? Again, it is quite complicated, depending on how old the person is that dies that's yeah. leaving the pension. So depends on who the pension's going to. Uh, depends how big the pension is. If you've got millions of pounds mm. in your pension, then you know if it's going to hit the person's account, then it's going to take them way over, um, you know, a certain mm. income threshold. Mm. So there potentially are other tax implications. I got it. Okay. So if you your pension is immune to inheritance tax, but actually it will count as income on the person receiving it. Yeah, depending on how they receive it. Okay. I won't go into that. That's no, where people really, give you a call. It's quite complicated and, um, and quite. Yeah. But yeah, we can obviously take it offline, and and it's the conversation that we'd be having with a, you know, if somebody's getting to that age, and you know, it's a conversation we'd be having with them to un- help people understand mm. that you know what's going to happen if that person dies beyond the age mm. of seventy-five. But th- there is a, a scenario where if someone's got a load of personal assets, for example, that might get caught by inheritance tax, then they prioritise liquidating those assets and putting them into a pension then potentially they can actually get a lot more of their um assets out of inheritance tax yeah, I'd, I'd imagine of, yeah absolutely okay. and then i guess like i did something quite depressing the other day and it was <laughs> i went onto one of those pension calculators and it said um assuming that my business didn't contribute anything i just i contributed it all and um, it said, if I if I was 40 next year and I wanted to retire when I'm 65 on an income of 24K, um, which included the state pension, um, I would only need to put £1,400 a month only, in, okay, yeah. into it. Yeah, only. Well, so I, I, don't you think sometimes people see stuff like that and they're just like put off by the whole idea of pensions or they're like, they're despair and think, how am I even going to get any close to that? What, I mean... What's, what's the point of something like auto-enrolment where they're trying to get you to put £50 in a month um, when the, the amounts needed for, for any kind of comfortable requirement are so vast? The first thing is with auto-enrolment is if you only ever do what, I guess, what auto-enrolment wants you to do, you, you're, you're probably not going not gonna to have the retirement that you, that, you, that, you, that you want is the first thing, you know. So, But it still is... It's still disciplines one to uh, you know to, to pay into something from there which they didn't have to do before um so the, the question was what why why bother with auto enrollment or or um or what to do when someone despairs at the amount of money they need to put in well uh, the despairs at the amount of money they need to put in um again let's let's go with this because i guess it's i do something very similar to the calculator that you've just done there which mm. is i'm this age i've got zero let's just say what do i need to put in to get to this point um uh, so it's it's breaking it down and saying well if that's if that is really really not achievable let's have some clarity mm. you know what if you go to 68 mm. you know and what if we re- you know what if we reduce your you know let's just have some clarity but you're, at least you're heading, if you can put £500 a month in, not 1400 you're still going to be heading towards that goal, whereas every year that you go along, and that 1400 turns into 1600 for example, and becomes even more you know, challenging. So the key is small steps, you know, or, or, or bigger steps than you've been taking. I guess, it's, it, and also it sounds like it's about managing your personal expectations. Yeah, 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 you know... Yeah. You know, you speak to people that you know might put fifty mm. quid in their pension and think they're going to retire. You know, might want to retire at sixty mm. on two thousand a month. The numbers don't stack up. So it's about saying, you know, you need to really think about um, saving for your. You know, you think about your future self mm. and you know what is doable now. And again, what is doable now and what's going to, you know, still enable you to have your lifestyle now. But mm. it's just really important that people start to think about their future selves and not just the here and now. Mm. Okay, it makes sense. And I, I guess um, just sort of one final thing I want to discuss, because this is a, a trip up I see every now and then with um, business owners as well. Like, their company can have a pension, a pension fund, and they can contribute into that pension fund via their company. So, but a lot of business owners, they don't understand, actually, there's, if they contribute, in, if they take money out of their company, like as dividends, and then contribute into that um, into a pension that way. They, they're losing out on a lot of those tax savings, and yes. this is one very few people seem to be talking about. I don't know because it's so obvious, but 
Maybe, yes. I, I, you know, I don't know. I couldn't tell the, the psychologist to where that comes from. Maybe yeah. people don't even know they can do it, I think. You know, when, mm. I, when I speak to people and they say, oh, I can pay it out of my business, you know, it's, mm. a, it's a, like a light bulb moment. And then why on earth yeah. wouldn't I be doing that? I, I guess in simple terms, like if you're, um, well, if you're a business owner, you, you pay about 19% corporation tax, maybe, or maybe more now. Um, and then your dividend tax, it's maybe at 8.75. Mm-hmm. For comparison, it's about 7 so, um, you know, your overall tax rate is about 26%. So if you pay into that pension through your company, you're saving like 26%. But if you pay into that pension per- personally, the government's giving you a saving of 20%, but you still had to pay the 26 to get that money out. Correct, so yeah. You're, you're, you're 6% down. If you're an employee and you're paying into a private pension rather than through your company, then, like, you know, you're... you're tax rate's about 32% when you factor in income tax and national insurance, but the government's only giving you 20% back. So you're losing out on that 12% national insurance that you're paying. And But I still come across so many people with private pensions. And I'm like, just go talk to your company, or if you own your company, talk to yourself. And, <laughs> and it's quite simple. Sometimes it's just as simple as changing the bank account that the money comes out of. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. So I've had a client mm. do it just recently. She mm. became a limited company. So she was a sole trader. Yeah. Became a limited company. And it was really simple. It was, you know, this is where I am, Alison. I want to pay out the business. Of mm. course you do. It makes sense. So sole traders are actually like missing out on a trick a lot of the time because they, they're paying all that national insurance. And if they were a limited company, they would be able to just pay into pension via the limited company without paying all that national insurance. Yeah. Um, so I think, I do, like, whatever you do, there's tax savings, but actually there's more tax savings by paying into a pension through your company. Yes, yeah. so if you're a limited company, you it's a no-brainer. You pay it through your limited company. You don't mm. pay yourself and then pay, you know, and then mm. pay into your pension. And quite often, you don't even have to check, well, I, mm. not knowing, you know, if it was us, we don't have to change the pension. It doesn't change, turn from mm. a personal pension to a company pension we just change the contributor okay excellent really simple excellent well Alison I think that's everything I and maybe everyone watching wanted to know about pensions (laughs) for small business owners um if people want to get hold of you what what's the best way um phone or email and I don't know do I, do I say it now or do I just you, you put oh, it we'll, we'll put it in the description that's fine yes. yeah just just give me a ring or send me an email and I'll happily just answer you know, any queries anyone's got I'll just I'll happily answer them okay amazing so thank you so much for joining us and everyone you've been watching the unrelenting drive podcast see you at the next episode <laughs>